We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Here There Be Worlds. I mean, Otter Tigers. I mean, we haven't figured out what part, what show this is under. All we know is that this is the world-building live stream. I am David Herman, a.k.a. Remnesis of the Brothers Herman, and I am here with... I am surf writer, host, and storytelling coach of Here Be Tigers. I continue to be Ken, one of Jared's oldest friends and a former player, let's go with, yeah, in many of Dave's Dungeons & Dragons games. Uh, and I'm Tanner. I'm a guest for a little bit, helping with world building. Tanner, we're glad you could join us today. It's always fun to have new perspectives and people who can find ways to get around Ken and my terrible ideas. I, oh, good. I, I love can, that he, uh, hope I can give you guys some unique perspectives. I love that you just implied that my ideas were good. No, I just implied they're not <laughs> terrible. I think, I, I think it's more that ours tend to be louder and more forceful. That is certainly it. So today we're working with a premise suggested by one of the folks in, a, I forget which server, Tanner, it might have been you or it might have been one of the other folks in the Unpops or uh, yeah. channel. The notion of an alien ship landing or crash landing amidst a world full of fantasy folks and what happens before or will after. Mm-hmm. I know Sage and a couple others are playing or running games with a similar premise in mind, so this felt like a kind of timely conversation to have, although... Wherever we take it tonight will certainly be a surprise for all of us. I just want to point out that this is an idea that uh, one of my friends and I had about 10 years ago of uh, in, in the middle of like a whole death battle scenario, pitching one fantasy character against another. But Dracula and the Predator would be the most boring matchup <laughs> of all time because neither one could see each other. The other. No, I think yeah. ultimately Dracula wins. I think he one. probably does long term, but it, it's it's it would take a while before he figured out how. I think the question is which Dracula. For instance, if it's the Christopher Lee Dracula, all the opponent has to do is find a hawthorn bush. That depends on which Christopher Lee Dracula it is. And I'm not sure if the Predator knows what a hawthorn bush is, so that might and level it's out. It's really hard to figure out which Christopher Lee um, Dracula it is if you can't see him. You know, this is the, this is the mashup, the monster mashup we never got. Van Helsing was, predator, was a Predator. <laughs> oh my god, Yeah. <laughs> Put like Van Helsing hunting like weird monsters on like a alien like bounty hunter Narshada type world or some shit. I mean, that's a whole campaign concept by itself. It really is. Yeah. And we there are so many awful and weird places we could take that. So yeah. well, you don't have to have just Van Helsing, right? You can have like a whole crew of space. Well, what you've got is the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in space with sharks. Yeah. Have we yeah. just identified the ship that is crash landing? Oh crap! Some well, sort of I hope cra- Wait, isn't there like a isn't there like a Dracula three thousand or something that is kind of basically this? So let's yeah. just crash land that no. ship on whatever no. fantasy right. world. 
No, see that. That, <laughs> that ship unceremoniously exploded after roughly an hour and 20 minutes. To, oh, okay. uh, to, to bring this <laughs> okay. around, though, did we did they suggest a specific, particular type of alien or are we allowed to choose? And are we getting? Well, well, no, no. Hang on. I'm sorry, Dave. I don't want to stop you. I just I need to say, having seen Dracula 3000 and Jared can back Three me times. up on this, that it is probably <laughs> the only movie in which Dracula is defeated by a door. <laughs> Now, admittedly, I mean, it's a big space should... door, not like a wooden one, but still. I mean, technically, that should be all of them, right? But like, yeah, oh. I can understand why that would be the weird one to include. Dracula 3000 is the movie we watched where we all lost the drinking game. Oh. And we were using Bekarovka. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So all right. So we so, all uh, lost in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Steer back to the to the discussion. Just had to get the door part out since we already covered the Hawthorne bush. So understand. Yeah, what kind of fantasy world is this? That's actually a very good question. Uh, actually, I actually asked which stuff? kind of aliens it was, because um, um, we had started with the idea that it was a typical fantasy world, but you're right, typical is what's typical. So we need to establish both of these things. What kind of aliens, what kind of fantasy world? Right, you need both, and I think for role-playing game purposes, the really important question here is, which side of this event are your players on? Yeah. I think that that, that I, changes... A lot about how we go about this, because if the players are the aliens, then we can make the world seem more alien to them and unfamiliar to them by not having it be a typical fantasy world. But if the players are uh, are on the fantasy world, the fantasy world should be normal and we go for something that the, that is unusual to it. So technically, this was a comic series, Valerian and Loreline, Lost in Time and Space or something of that nature, that was inspired Lucas, among others. The basic premise was time cops getting transported back into fantasy England or something of the like. It's has a French, cart- initial- French cartoon yeah. series that eventually got made into a live action movie that was really bad. Um, Valerian oh, in the uh... City of a Thousand, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, a thing to think of. I, uh, I did this... Uh, kind of a concept a couple years ago for like a home group. And there's this desire from DMs around now to kind of uh, present a world that um, the characters don't like, don't necessarily know every ins and out of because, you know, everyone knows that you defeat a troll with fire, you stake a vampire in the heart, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was kind of using this as like, this can kind of be an avenue for some of your DMs. Like if you don't even want to put if you don't have like an alien stat block or something, you can introduce these types of monsters as aliens. You can introduce dragons or something through like Spelljammer, which I think would probably be a decent-ish place to start when you're looking at this kind of like mixing of sci-fi and fantasy. And then, yeah, you can take it where either you're on a ship that crashes into Faerun or whatever world you have or vice versa. Yeah, I have a Dan Abnett graphic novel on my shelf literally right now called Dark Ages which is crusaders versus aliens that incidentally look like demons. It's pretty random. What I'm hearing is that we kind of want to try playing with this idea of the, of the aliens as the players first. And maybe in the second half of this, of this uh, panel stream episode, we will dive into the other end of it. So we might take the same premise and see how looking at it through those two different perspectives changes the potentials of the course of the, the world, the story, the campaigns that can emerge out of that. So, okay, in that case, we, there's a obvious follow-up question that needs to be asked before we start trying to figure out who the players are, which is, is this the start of the campaign, or is this happening to them in the middle of the campaign? 
is the dreaded for switching systems game. Oh God. Uh, yeah. I would say for the purposes of the live stream, it makes more sense for this to be the start of the campaign. You otherwise, this entire thing just seems like a side journey, a filler season, that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so the start of the campaign is that space alien player characters or space person player characters, maybe they're all, you know, maybe this is a federation ship that's, that's crashing, I don't know, are going to crash land on a, quote, typical fantasy world, unquote. So, why? <laughs> and, um, and here's an important question, just uh, metaphysically. <clears throat> are they from this universe, or in the typical fantasy sense, are they from another plane? See, I, I, you're right. So the, the distinction's e yeah. important. Yeah. Um, I, I know the easy thing for me. Um, I'm just going to set out that I don't want to imply that I'm not a hack. I basically just did the Nostromo crash landing like five minutes away from where my players were camping so that I could put aliens in <laughs> the game. And it kind of worked. I, uh, I did a little bit of conversion, but that was kind of like the easiest go-to is, you know, an alien fucks up the ship kills everyone, ship crash lands, and miraculously, like, four of them survive. Um, I've done a similar premise where, rather than let them have any peace from the start of the campaign, the game began, I've done this through two different angles. One, they were on the ship, the game began mid-crash. As to the why and the how and what to do after, all of those were relevant. First, you had to survive. And that got them on their toes yeah. quickly and helped them identify who they were and what they were going to do. And then we started to tease out from there afterwards what the world and where they were, what state they were in was like. You could also have people going about their business, by and large, when a thing alien to them arrives. So perhaps those will be where we diverge from for the two halves of the stream. In the first, we can answer the details of this, of how this happened, why, and this, why now, etc., as we're sussing out the crash and the immediate fallout. In the latter, we can have the people in their place and their time going about their life and that moment of arrival and see what comes from there. I want to say also just off the top of my head here, He-Man did this. <laughs> You're right. Do you remember, do you remember the, the asteroid men? Because the asteroid men were from space, but crash landed on Eternia, if I'm remembering right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways I you mean, can take the this. entire premise Technically, of Transformers as well. And Thundercats. Oh, yeah. And Thundercats. Well, no, Transformers is not the same premise because the Transformers were dormant for, you know, X thousands of years. Crashed alien spaceship. The only difference uh, is when. When, yeah. right. But that matters, too, is what I'm getting Ostensibly, at. we did Transformers during our last stream with the evil golems from space. True, <laughs> we did. <laughs> Decepticons were the end of that world, yes. Right. So, I mean, you can take the... Nobody knows why the spaceship crashed, but that seems weird to me as a starting point for a campaign. Right. You should know why it crashed okay. unless the whole point is going to be that you are slowly but surely running out of all your space resources here on this fantasy world. You should know why you crashed because you ought to have been a competent space guy. So let's identify what the players are like, what kind of space travelers they are. And then. And I'll this. Yeah, go ahead. And I think we should also like I, I don't even remember what source it was, but I was reading, you know, just random like. Navy something and saw that one of the crew compliments for one of the like bigger like man of wars was some could have been around like a thousand people. So it's somewhat feasible that they could be like lowly deckhands that just scrub the decks and that's it and kind of don't know, just kind of woke up to well, an at alarm. that point. Uh, we're into Red Dwarf to... crashes into a uh, friend computer. Right. But like there's so the opening for 
uh, Knights of the Old Republic starts you off as amnesiac Republic soldier on a crashing Republic ship. And while it's important that the ship is crashing, it's not the, the rest of the story doesn't really touch on or have import on or find import in uh, why the ship crashed. It's well, kind of okay, well, um, an incidental then, thing. Then here's, here's my quest. Then, then here's, here's a way of looking at it. What ship crashed? Was it a military ship, a colony yeah. ship, a, uh, a refugee ship, or a maintenance ship? I think it's a ship large enough to give the players ample choice in what their character is and like. So you, anything with a sufficient crew, players are usually between, say, four to six, but they should not be the entire right, thing. They could be for they the... They probably shouldn't be like the... Like, I think somebody said that uh, it, it could be like a Federation ship, and that's kind yeah. of a, a good... Like for what you want, that's kind of what you is a good fit because it's got like the science, it's got the little bit of military and the security stuff, it's got civilians Depending that are just families. Yeah, um, there can also be so, yeah. it could also be a colony transport ship, even in that world. They do still colonize. Yeah, I think this allows for a certain amount of tension too, because it's not just what happens to you as the individual characters. There are folks on the ship, survivors reliant upon what you do. In this new space, all right. That creates uh, that creates a particular set of expectations for the player characters, right? Because mm -hmm. they're going to be, if not literally, then functionally, the awaited. Yes. Presumably, yeah. the end goal here is to get the spaceship back off of this planet. Unless it's a colony ship, in which case the 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 end goal might be to build a settlement first, because that's what they're set up for. They they oh, focus on God, we and. Have and we have just yeah, maybe long term they want to get back to space, but right now they got a bunch of people they got to feed. They the the building the colony well, makes I, more I, sense. I don't, you, I don't think you run that premise up against a fantasy world crash landing, right? I think you run that uh, against a dangerous planet or what in Warhammer would be called a death world planet. Yeah. I don't think you run that when you crash land on a planet with wizards and temples and things. I think it sounds more like District 9, where we're here for a while and we're trying not to be a problem to survive, to get what we need and then get the hell out. Yeah, and it can feel a little, uh, if if you crash land on a world that's like already established with like, you know, level 9 wizards or whatever, it's going to feel like your characters are just doing fetch quests for people the entire time until they fix their ship. Well, and um, th that's one part. That's why the type of fantasy world definitely matters. But any sort of typical fantasy world has, you know, like settlements and a hierarchy of some kind, multiple usually, and people with abilities and things like that. I think we have here a situation that is one rife for the, why am I forgetting the actual name of the law, but the, any advanced science, any advanced magic. Any suitably, suitably advanced there magic is indistinguishable from science. I think we do run into a situation where that is either proven true, false, or unprovable. Based upon I, I don't think it matters initially. I think you're no. right that that's something that's probably going to have to get solved as this game goes on. But I don't think it matters in the moment of the spaceship. It only it only matters. But it might speak to why it, it crashed. It only matters if their science stops working. But I don't think that's the interesting one here. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. In Star Trek Discovery, it is a giant tardigrade that runs the ship. Yeah, the tardigrade or whatever biotic computer runs the ship crave something on this planet more than it craves running the ship or it's its home planet or something else like there's something here that whatever powers or drives the ship or gives it a sentience or a directive purpose wants here that those who 
were maintaining the ship were otherwise unaware of. See, but why? Where does that well, go for the players, except that they ultimately have to either fight this thing in all probability or accede to its bizarre whims and feel like they're getting jerked around? They well, might have to replace kind of, it. Yeah, and that kind of can play into like there's the, the one of the, like a bigger theme of like a crashed ship and and for any time is do I put in the effort to fix the ship and get home, possibly taking ten or fifteen or twenty years to do that, or do I just start a new life? Do I plant some crops? Do I find a pig and then be happy here? So yeah, so like having your players, that's setting that up initially, I think is fine. And I think there's an impetus sometimes for DMs to kind of present the solutions to their own problems. But just like, it's fine if you don't have a thing for it, let your players decide whether or not staying on the planet is uh, for this being or whatever is better than going home or making a life here or whatever. So in Star Trek, there's a I think there's a common trope they use where they they work to escape whatever conflict they're in, but wherever they arrive has its own risks entailed and entailing there. So you could have mid battle or whatever conflict or deadly situation they're in, they warp out, reach the Dyson sphere, magical Dyson sphere, mythal, whatever you want surrounding this world or whatever properties it has that are weird, and that combination of a compromised ship and systems it is not designed to handle brings it down. It doesn't have to be. I don't think, Much more. Yeah. I don't think you get your fantasy world that way. It's not like that's a bad, you know, pitch. I don't think you get your fantasy world that way. I mean, say, especially if you go to a Dyson Sphere or a Ring World, Larry Niven, Larry Niven notwithstanding, it's a very different setup than you've crash landed on some place where literally there's a wizard over there who is pissed off that you knocked his tower out when you crash landed on it. I guess we have to, before we answer this question in full, we have to kind of circle back around to what's the typical fantasy world so we know a few of the truths and properties of it to call upon for influencing what... Well, here's one that maybe matters for a crash, crashing spaceship. I'm increasingly inclined to believe that the typical fantasy world has multiple moons. Oh. Fate. Oh. Yeah. And that could be something that they maybe didn't track or that gravity fucks up their ships. Warp out, track, land into moon, collide off of moon. Especially, and I'm not trying to invoke a specifically fa- a specific fantasy world here, um, if the moons play in, like, if the moons are special somehow, if they're not always there, that would make it really hard for a fantasy ship to track. Like, sure. if they warp in and out of, some, of like... Different yeah, Star Trek actually on, does a yeah. couple of those, like, subspace planets that... I think Jedzia like stays on one for a little bit. Yeah, there, there's there's at least one in Deep Space Nine. Uh, yeah. There are multiple weird things that happen in space in, in pretty much any Star Trek, really. But the jump out of problems into more problems thing actually very rarely happens in Star Trek. That's more of a Star Wars or a uh, other side to tell you the truth. It happens occasionally in Star Trek, but it's not really their thing. Regardless, so if this place has multiple moons or magic moons or both, probably, right, then I that's as far as the world it is. Biggest culprit of that were three gods that were moons that also, in their phases and stages, altered the nature mm-hmm. of magic and its properties. Yeah, Something like, of that. Yeah. Pathfinder has an apocalypse moon god who doesn't even exist yeah. yet, and like, there's going to be a magic moon somewhere. I think yeah. Favorite even has a like their their big thing is the like part of their moon is like shattered, so they have the the tears of Salune, which is just like a bunch of large asteroids basically trailing behind their moon that could do basically the same thing, and which somehow magic haven't killed everybody on the planet. Yeah. Essentially, they arrive into that which should not exist according to their rules, or at least 
exist in a way that doesn't make sense based on what they know at the time. So yes, there can be multiple moons, but how is a moon both there and not there? So it's a phasing moon, or it's it's a magic moon that literally shoots them down with its moon laser, or, you know... Or better yet, I, I up you your wizard tower, and it's a wizard moon. <laughs> like the whole... Okay. <laughs> that might it's be a right fantasy world, but a wizard hanging out on the moon, maybe. It's the only place I can get some damn quiet. And now you got your spaceship on my lawn! <laughs> so yeah i think we if we're going for pointy hat wizards barbarians with giant swords peoples of various kinds maybe a wizard knocks the spaceship down but doesn't the wizard get like wrecked by science fiction weaponry more or less immediately because the wizard doesn't see that coming i mean no he's well i think it's a, it's a the wizard's able to harm the ship but the ship likewise as it lands or brushes by does terrible or reconcilable things to whatever he had or she had set up oh yeah it, it's it's but i don't think the ship actually radiation. attacks the wizard because this is a sci-fi ship whatever the wizard sends at them they're gonna think of as some kind of weird spatial distortion or natural phenomena how often does uh, star trek have random electricity going at the ship or things like that they're not gonna assume a person's doing it until they've had a chance to scan and by then it might be too late for them to respond Let's be honest. It's a late-generation Star Trek ship. They have a Q alert. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> my expectation would be that the wizard somehow, you know, brings the ship down and then, being a wizard, monologues at the spaceship, at which point they will figure out what's going yes. on. Yes, and that part, that oh, part's bringing... really funny, because then with the with the wizard, you know, saying, do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, God! So, well, you're going you bring to bring up an... if a wizard did it. Yeah, and you can bring up an interesting point that, like, this technology for this... Uh, they have a section in the DMG that gives you like the stats for like laser pistols and stuff. And it's kind of implied as like a little bit overpowered. But if a wizard was doing like, you know, whatever scrying thing, he could just intentionally bring the ship down as, oh, hey, there's going to be like cool laser guns and bombs and shit on that ship that I can use to further my whatever radiation and extra power. Is this a wizard retreat or a wizard in exile? Um, it could be either. It'd be, you know, just spitballing. They could be any, as long as he's sufficiently powerful enough and needs like a little bit of a boost to his power, maybe he wants. Whomever the wizard is, male, female, whatever. The, the main thing is, if this is a particularly important wizard who then gets vaporized with laser beams, they've already destabilized the fantasy world within the first, you know, half hour. Okay, so canonically, we're vaporizing Elminster. I'm good yes, with this. Yes, I like this. So with that, they destabilize the order of the fantasy world. They survive it. They arrive and things have gone horribly, horribly wrong because the wizard was up there for important reasons. It doesn't even have to be a wizard because this is a typical fantasy world, right? So if, right. Well, it's, it's, if it's the over. high cleric of doom or if it's, you know, the grand overlord whizbang, it doesn't matter. They're going to monologue and the science fiction people are going to be like, oh, okay. And depending on what kind of science fiction people they are, you know, lasering the dude is a very real possibility. If you're monologuing in sci-fi, you're the villain. Yeah. <laughs> if you're a savvy sci-fi pilot, you shoot the guy who monologues. That's just you know, they instantly know on the planet who's good and who's bad. Well, I think this tells us something about the, the, the space people too, right? Because like, really, if your reaction to some some weirdo in a robe with stars all over it monologuing at you is to blast him with lasers, you're probably not on the side. No, of, you you're you know, best to Han Solo. He did shoot first, yes. In this case, right, let's go with it. It's whether it's a space smuggler or a space jockey, the guy who gets monologued at first and the a bunch of space greetings forward. Yeah, wizard gets shot, wizard being placeholder for big, important foozle up there who keeps things the way it's they are. It's a bunch of space mercenaries. So, so the mercenaries only problem with this concept, and one, it's, not, it, it's, a, it's a bunch of space mercenaries and whoever they've been hired to escort. That gives you enough variance in who you can play and a natural tension in the group. Yeah. 
You had a thought, Ken? I was going to say that although Dave's suggestion fixes this to some extent, if, if your first reaction is to shoot the guy monologuing at you, this leads to the spaceship trying to take over the planet, if you maintain that mindset. <laughs> well, there could be immediate fallout from vaporizing said wizard Fuzel character that results in the ship not being functional. Not to, not to mention which, there's also the thing of, if the, if the wizard monologuing at you is monologuing about how he just took your ship down, that also is along, you know, let's even, yeah. you know, fairly good and lawful characters uh, be justified in shooting him in the face before he does it again. Yeah. But once you've established that you can laser, you know, what is presumably by the standards of this world you've crashed on a badass, right? What's to stop you going and lasering everybody else? You have to take your ship yeah. there. What's powering the laser? Yeah, I'm assu- I was assuming a Lasers, ship laser did over. this. Well, sure. For, I, and yeah, they. But the the lasers in the DMG are are you know laser pistols, and that definitely could destabilize a thing. I'm not doing this just to throw a wrench, but we. I think you kind of. There's some reconciling that also needs to be done with how your players are playing. Like having a druid on a spaceship kind of doesn't work, but also having maybe like a space hacker bounty hunter in a fantasy world also doesn't work. So, yeah, you're going like, to have- where mechanically are these guys starting? The basic architecture how- you're looking at is they run into a cosmic keystone of some type for this world, whether it is a sentient being or an object of some kind. They encounter a presence here that renders the ship inoperable, causes it to crash, and leaves them with a leaves some of the players perhaps with a bad perspective, a bad starting foot as to what the rest of the folks here are like. I think it's up to the players to decide what that impression is, but you can certainly give them a sense that the world is not friendly to them, whether it be passive or directly unfriendly. Sure. And I think it's important in this setup, if you're really going to run with this, that the players not be the ones to pull the trigger on the on lasering the wizard or whatever being is being killed. I think that's clearly the role of their captain or, you know, some misguided person who's at fault in the automated bed. defense like systems. That. Even that. Yeah. You've got a few options, yeah. but it needs to you not alert. be a choice here's, made by here's the a guy because now they're stuck with it. If it is the wizard in a robe, it's a Q alert. We know the Q alien dresses in fancy clothes and likes to talk too much, so you shoot him tight. <laughs> That's if, that's actually good. Yeah. Going a little less silly though, if it is some type of weird cosmic keystone that emits strange energies or presence or whatever destabilizes the functions of the ship, there might be automatic systems in place to react to that as a preventative measure. And by the time that's happened, oh god, it's too late. Or you know, say if a dragon decides to take down your spaceship. I kind of like that. Yeah, actually, it's a lot more plausible that you'd shoot the dragon. I mean, sure. No, I'm I'm extremely confident that if some evil wizard is monologuing at me and I have my finger on the button of my phasers or whatever, I'm going to go ahead and shoot it. But the dragon is definitely going to be what like if monolo- What if he's monologuing at you after having thrown a bunch of dragons at you? I mean, at that point, we don't really have a crash spaceship anymore. We have a probably dead spaceship and multiple dead dragons, and we've destabilized the entire economy of this fam- fantasy world. <laughs> Yeah, there's an element of scale here, certainly, but I think the the basic premise is that whatever kind of cosmic keystone it is, be an object or a person or a presence of some kind, the ship is rendered inoperable, right? And the players make some decisions by the time they land on the ground. Here's the question, does the ship stay on the moon or does the ship go down to the planet itself? I think you have to let the ship go to the planet, because if you don't, the moon is the planet. It doesn't really matter. Well, it, 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 so, it does. You have one other option, which is that you have a shuttlecraft go down to the planet, but the ship can't be moved. So that keeps the ship remote and keeps backup far away. Yeah, I like I think that's a good idea, because if the ship is too close, you're just going to have them camping and like delegating shit from there, hiring lackeys and whatnot. 
You know what that inert ship in orbit is? A new moon. It's no moon. It's a space well, station. So if you leave the main spaceship on the moon, the players have access to X number of ways to get to the ground, mm. right? Why are they going down? Do they need supplies? Probably they need supplies. How are they getting them back to the spaceship? Whatever method they go back in. So if it's shuttlecraft, it's going to be hard to get uh, bulk supplies up there. And they never really touch on it, but fuel could technically be a thing where it's like, okay, we can only go back up to the ship like three or four times before the shuttle pod is done for. Voltron does the whole space magic. Was it Kyber crystals or something? No, Kyber's a starch... Wars. I forget the one in Voltron is, but there's uh, a whole side arc of we have to get the more magic fuel going through, through you know, fight the dragon of space shenanigans, etc. So yeah. maybe the shuttles have enough energy to get us down, but not back up more than once or twice. But we know a wizard oh, just getting it back and forth. Sure. Not, no, maybe that was a way station. <laughs> there. Yeah, so, the wizard, the wizard having the ability to teleport could be like the the key for the character or the clue for the characters that they can get down to the planet, get supply and get supplies up to the moon somehow with magic and not having to go there directly. So if they vaporize the wizard or priestess or demon or whatever, there's some token or element left behind they have to figure out how to use. It makes no sense to them. If it is, in fact, some kind of weird cosmic keystone device, perhaps part of a larger system that they've either damaged or has, again, makes no sense to them at the time. Right. So this leads to your characters needing to literally become part of the fantasy world to go back to the science fiction world, which I'm not really sure is a particularly easy uh, line to walk. True. Well, they don't necessarily need to be a part of the fantasy world. It's more the wizard is the clue that it can be done. They don't have to train someone up to a level nine wizard. They just have to figure out how they can pull off the same thing. Right. Well, find okay, friendly so wizards to help. You're going to hire yeah. a level nine wizard, which means you need to pay that oh, wizard. Oh, I was going to avoid anything like that. And so things like that. No, just like how else are you going to solve this problem without yourself becoming a level nine wizard in these circumstances? And, uh, Ken, do you know how this happens? We kidnap the wizard and break their fingers until they mesmerize the visibility. That's space papers. magic engineering. Okay, um, so the space magic engineering involves what? Going and looting a bunch of dungeons for the magic to power the space magic? And, 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 getting, I mean, thing, and getting samples back to your scientists to try to figure out well, like things you can do. My point is that ultimately you're still just going to end up playing Dungeons and Dragons here, but go ahead, Tanner. Right. Um, no, and and I really think that you know we should uh, look a little bit at Spelljammer for how to merge or how to merge this stuff because they can like maybe hear rumors or ha- or see the Spelljammer helms like flying up from somewhere else that gives them a clue that somebody knows some sort of space travel on this planet, and it doesn't exactly have to be that. It can be I forget what it's called for Warhammer, but their whole psychic warp thing. It can just be. Uh, oh, no. No, no, you don't want to go there. I I mean, you don't, but it's like a, but just something different that's just like a a broadening of horizons, I guess, or like a viewpoint. I think we need to flesh out the fantasy world a bit more because it also boils down to, is this more of a game of diplomacies and relationships and building context? Is it more of a classic D&D murder hobo dungeon raider where we try to avoid? Yeah, I would avoid that one, but here's the thing. Your arc is still going to always follow, if you're trying to get back to space, your arc is always going to follow the same set of beats, which is first off, figuring out where you are. 
Second off, figuring out what is available to you. And third of all, figuring out what you can do with it until you reach a way back. The, so, the, the, like whether you're, whether you're finding someone there who can send you back or engineering it yourself, those beats are essentially still what you need to do. And so the real, the, so the question with the fantasy world is what type of fantasy world makes that path the most interesting? So are you the only ones from the ship that come down? For instance, in the new version of Lost in Space, the by and large arc ship, as it were, is rendered inert for most of the first season. And most of the people of importance in the narrative, NPCs and players alike in this case, are on this new planet. It's largely uninhabited, but here we're looking at you plus whoever can come down in that initial escape. Whatever they do, whatever you do, it all plays against each other and the locals' interpretations of why you are here. Sure. Or just you go with the option of whatever fight you have that causes consequences for the world below also cripples the ship and you're yeah. just stuck. So you could also just fire and just like a cool. giant magic black tiger that lives in the moon and it kicks the crap out of your spaceship. But you kill the guy who was commanding the tiger and then crash. Well, now you have a whole different set of problems. I think the crash landing has to be catastrophic both for the people in the ship and for the people whose world, who call this world home. Something oh, yeah, has to no, irrevocably change in both. Yeah. For a while now, but we, yeah. we still haven't figured out, you know, what happens here. But so, if a spaceship crashes on your planet, it's bad. I guess let's so let's get how let's get to the caliber of bad here. Are we talking apocalyptic bad or portents of what's to come bad? From the folks Are we here. talking about a massive race as the people in the fantasy world try to figure out how they can get to and exploit the ship while the people on the on the ship try to figure out how they can exploit what's around them to get back into space before anyone manages to steal their ship? The interesting way to solve that is actually to make this a game where it becomes about politics. Yes. I would actually not use D&D or any of the frontier combat systems for this, but rather one that focuses more on character interactions, bonds, so and fate. the values. Perhaps fate, you could do fellowship. Anything that is... where the, the battle is not over numbers, it's over properties and qualities. I think you still have to have some room for traditional fight and stuff, but I think... Well, I agree. The campaign yeah. really needs to be about how do we talk these fantasy guys out of showing up with, you know, seven different armies full of elves and goblins and whatever else they can scare out of somebody's monster's manual and mm -hmm. the, crap. The, real, the real hilarity here is that of course this would be the arrival of the demons from outer space that caused the orcs and the elves to unite <laughs> no, drive you back the people on the ground if it's a sufficiently big spaceship which it sounds like we'd like it to be and it comes down basically anywhere something's going to go wrong if it lands in the ocean there's going to be a tsunami if it lands in the middle of a kingdom that kingdom is toast let's answer well, this what got, what got squashed and yeah, and I think it's uh, I think you have to like I know that we want to cause like a big explosion and thing, but we also have to like temper that a little bit to where like physical fallout from the ship crashing can't be so big that it would also destroy any chance of players surviving. It can, um, but only if the book escape pods. Yeah, escape pods could be a thing, too, where it's where, you know, the ship goes down on the other side of the continent and you and your escape pod that oh, launched sure while you were falling through orbit puts you way too far away to get there reasonably and there we go we separate the players from wherever the ship crash lands by a great distance mm -hmm. so there's a whole journey involved and in fell into where the ship even landed right and what's left of it who's left of it then it you needs, have the folks who are probably to land somewhere that was important 
but somewhere that that ought, that the there aren't people necessarily closer than the 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 ship that could get there sooner. So like a remote kingdom, like the elves or something like that. No, no, Dave, the no. Well, okay, yeah, but still, the point is the remote. <laughs> it's got to be a remote kingdom. So like maybe one in the middle of the desert or something like that. Somewhere that's going to be hard for everybody to get to. Otherwise, you will automatically lose that race. Right now. It may not matter that you lose the race, depending on how, depending on the kind of fantasy world this is, which we really pretty much have to confirm yeah. at this point. So let's get into that. We know there are wizards in pointy hats, and we have a feeling there are dragons or something equivalently monstrous. It, it doesn't have to be a wizard. It just has to be somebody in the heavyweight class relative to and this. My world. preference right. would be that it not that, that we diverge from typical fantasy in one regard. I would like each species or a race on this planet to not be similar to the others in the sense of the the, the this these aliens that are coming can't know what they're going to like if they meet humans they they can't know what they're going to get when they see another bipedal group orcs they need to they need to be, it needs to be a sense of surprise uh, that you can play that up in magical characteristics like the healing power of trolls or things like that, but it needs to be the kind of thing that they cannot necessarily predict what they're going to get into. So I think maybe the kind of fantasy world it needs to be, although this gets us a little away from typical, is the mostly deserted kind. Large, unexplored tracks with small communities and occasional ruins of large civilizations are still concentrations that are historically important. Or even just the part where they land. Needs yeah, to be the part there. where they land. Yeah. Needs, that way you've got a lot well, less again, to grab there's going to be a big so, wasteland between them and where the ship landed. We are already in an area that probably doesn't have a huge inhabitants. Except for the types that are typically not found in the large fantasy settlements. So trolls, for instance. Anything that lives in the remote portions of the world or over the course of it. Their first encounters are not going to perhaps be with the likeliest of what we would presume likeliest of the fantasy types. Yeah, and I think you can kind of play off of the, you can play off of the alien thing and just kind of pick a random monster out of the manual and decide, okay, they're a race with a culture now. Um, and one of Ken's favorite and say kobolds. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it, it makes sense that things need to be, need to feel alien and not just feel like rubber foreheads, basically, or rubber ear, pointy ears. Yeah, I can agree with that. What I think you do, though, is you, you land them in the wilderness to start. You run the race for the spaceship, and if they don't dither, they're probably mm -hmm. going to win it, right? But then as soon as they found the spaceship, bad news, fantasy civilization has found them. Because that was too noticeable to not to oh, be exactly. left alone. It was seen from the sky. It is a portent. It is an omen. It is a disaster in and of itself. But I think that's your arc, because that way they can get used to the fantasy world while it's still kind of low stakes in that, you know, they... Presumably still have whatever space weaponry they have that still works until they run out of space ammo and so on and so forth. Right. And then they grab staves and bash people. So that's the arc of the first half of the season. The second half of the season is them defeating, potentially, this, uh, the, this civilization that fights them. But that's destabilizing in a major way. Right. Or you get back to the spaceship and the emissary of High King Higgledybeg is waiting for you there. Waiting for somebody to either come out or claim it as theirs. If it's a king, it's already theirs. Oh, yeah. Again, king loosely. Whatever important big Makamaka ruler arrives there, that thing is now theirs. Right. They're definitely going to be like, well, it's not your spaceship anymore, Chief. Well, good luck getting yeah, in it. It's not a ship anymore. <laughs>
there's too much of importance and value. It might even be someone, you know, it could be the second dispresents princess or prince or whatever who didn't have a place to rule before and now does. Or it could be like three or four different, you know, sets of people who show up. It, it doesn't oh, matter. This is Antarctica. You have what you have is the, yeah, this is the race to Antarctica. Yeah. There's, there are things here that no one else can find before. There's star metals, all those things we make the, the precious artifacts and things of the ages from. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, dwarves or gnomes or really any kind of, you know, tinkering inclined species showing up at the space. Oh, my God. That if there are robots, player. they've been cannibalized by dwarves and gnomes. It's a disaster, <laughs> players. <laughs> no, they landed on the gnomes, uh, Jared. The gnomes are dead. They've been cannibalized by undead gnomes. They're just oh, going to find the spaceship sitting on cinder blocks with no tires. <laughs> <laughs> this is why you drop the ship on the nose. So I think we have set up an interesting premise for if you are the aliens arriving on a place you shouldn't have. What if we are to take the other angle of this and see what happens from a, re- a fantasy world when and on the day or leading up to the day that ship arrives? First, are we doing from the same world or are we going to presume a different world in this case? I don't know that it really matters because your, your average fantasy world or your standard fantasy world is going to solve that problem one way and one way only. Okay. You know what that way is. Somebody else say it so I don't have to. <laughs> Murder Hobart? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, a spaceship landed. Adventurers. Go adventure it. They're just going to guys. Yeah. <laughs> Then you've created a zombie well, horror that, That, to me, oh. is the, the very obvious way to to counteract that is that the ship must have some kind of intrusive, invasive, corrupting, or spreading influence that's going to transform the land around it. Either it brings in, like, radiation and mutants and things like that, which naturally makes getting to it a series of adventures in the first place. Or it has something oh, like uh, it has something like uh, a uh, like the the xenomorphs or gray goo or something like that that is spreading. Um, and so even if you took out the ship, you haven't stopped it. So basically, you're telling me that it can be either a dungeon or a existential threat. No, I'm sure there's a way of handling what's in, like what's in between, but the way of doing that is by extending the ship's influence so it isn't just a location. So, let's say you had it be a ship of from from Stargate, the Goa'uld, and they're breeding more Goa'uld, but it's slow. Yeah, and you can go the very easy schlocky route of, oh, it's radiation. The radiation does whatever I want it to do. And it can be like, you know, it's similar to the the regional effects for the legendary monsters. You can just bump that up by like a couple miles, maybe. Actually, what we go for here is the colony ship that's only run by robots and AI. They're the only things oh, that the first when it lands. And this is like the ship that came to like do all the grunt work to build the houses. So it's and kind stuff. of a terraforming ship. Now, now it's a dungeon and you're fighting the robots. Initially, there's a dungeon, but I think they. But they're but they're von Neumann well, machines. You can... so, they, so again, just because you disrupt the ship, it doesn't have to be an existential threat. But if no one does anything, then long term, several hundred years, they're gonna change. The, you know, they will change everything. So it's a localized existential threat. I think also there's the to, to give a sense of urgency to this. The longer it's left alone, the more and more folks start to thaw out, whatever those folk are on the ship, and they have their needs and desires, and that makes it less of a dungeon and more of a living population of strange things, demons or otherwise. To the no, it's, it's still fundamentally a dungeon at that point, man. Well, um, 
It might be a dungeon with safe spots in it, or it might be a dungeon with like you know friendly NPCs in it. But it's still- right, but this one has safe points. Yeah, and you can set it up at, when you have the ship as like the hub point for whatever malicious thing, be it like robots or nano machines or something. You can still have the side adventures of oh, here's some robots that are trying to cut down an entire forest, or here's some robots that are trying to completely level this like rocky expanse that's a sacred thing or whatever and then later on in the campaign you do have to go into the dungeon to fight this thing i mean what happens if if, if a spaceship lands on a fantasy planet is really is a really old concept in dnd like what mm-hmm. was the palace of the silver princess old yeah i think perhaps the the challenge there is not to go right for the ship right if you're going to make it more particular and small and distinct at first you have to have the early portents and signs first maybe the androids are passable or mutable enough that they can terminate or like mimic those around them. And maybe they're largely not intent to be threatened or they have no intent to cause threat other than self-defense. It could be even be something like a medical bot going out to gather resources and investigate and see what it can well, find it out. It sounds to me like the, the way to keep it from being existential is to, again, add a face to it. You could add a face to it with the robots. You could, you might not. But one of the biggest things is to make sure that the negotiating and talking happens well before the ship as a dungeon is even possible. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a short story by Bradbury. I forget what it's called even, but robots return to Earth after much horror has ensued and find, well, one finds the last, as far as I can tell, living man. It doesn't know how humans work, so it deactivates them in order to reboot them and make them feel better. It does this, of course, by sticking a long metal rod in the base of its cervical spine. And when the human doesn't turn back on, it's very confused. (laughs) I think you might have some initial encounters like that where it takes a bit of sussing out as to, oh, you are not what I thought you were. Time to figure that out. And that might be gruesome at first in terms of the classic alien abduction, eviscerations, etc. Oh, this is how you function. That might be how some of them operate, but they might be autonomous enough that others are perhaps more subtle or cautious in their interactions. And you could have decades of this slow, gradual, effectively we're looking at an era of the greys, as it were, something like that, where by the time the threat seems to emerge, they've been in the population long enough that some of them are just locals, right? So you want Thin Men or the aliens from the second V miniseries or something like that? In a sense, you're looking at a kind of a changeling narrative, yeah. There might be a re- whatever that reason is that either they can take they can take or wait as long, or maybe the robots the robots robots have no desire to actually wake up the people they were in charge of waking up. This is a neater place than where they were. There's before. a fun concept in Stellaris of uh, for an AI species that essentially is in ascendancy. It rules and and it does all. It's the entire civilization. It's all you control. Oh, I know where but you're they, going. They were made as servitors. It's just that. They've taken that servitor concept to like the degree of they make the people they're serving's lives like wonderful and pleasant and all of that. And then they take care of like all the politics, all of the growth, all of everything and are essentially keeping their masters as pets. And it's there. Yeah, I was playing rogue servitors literally yeah, last week. It's, it's, <laughs> you, you have this possibility of the reason that they're keeping the, 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 the people in stasis is because they're enjoying their freedom. Not that they have anything against their masters. They're still programmed to protect them. This is just a really, this is just a by happenstance, a really convenient way of protecting them. 
Right. This place is full of unknown hazards, and there's no guarantee that once they're thawed out, they'll be anywhere near as safe as they are inside there. So there becomes a a vested there's a vested interest in the AI or the the non-master population of this ship trying to find a way to exist here that lets them have freedom they didn't have before. It's a well, really weird narrative to be trying to explore from the side of it that's chasing the robots around with swords. <laughs> that's legit true, but not not impossible. You've known players as long as I have. One of them wants to be the robot. Yeah, and probably in a sufficiently large group of them, one of them wants to have sex with the robot. <laughs> like, oh, God. Oh, look, no, go. the, way to, the way to do this in Cylons, obviously, one of them was a robot all along. Oh, yeah. He just slipped the card in during the second arc. Mm-hmm. It actually turns out that Dallin the Beefy, your your male human fighter, he's in fact been a robot all along, and that's why he's so strong. He's more forged. Oh my god. You know? No, you I go. know. That raises so many like, how did you not notice type questions? <laughs> <laughs> he had a very he, he had glasses mask on. that he held, that is on a stick and he just holds it up over his face all the time. <laughs> When, when the orc war boss, you know, hit Dallin with, with his axe and sparks came out, we were really confused. We thought he just had putting magic on him. A good story can excite us, yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail.